Welcome to Crash Chords Autographs. Today, Matt is joined by Grace Kendall, a ukulele folk singer and songwriter hailing from Asheville, North Carolina. With an album still fresh from March 2015 called Can You Hear Me, Grace chats with Matt about how she got her start in the wizard rock scene, having performed under the name Snidget before transitioning to her given muggle namesake. Grace also chats about her inspirations, the indie music scene, and some unique ways in which she's gotten her music out into the universe, including live-streamed concerts. Even finding extra time to mutually extol the Broadway hit Hamilton, here's presenting Matt Storm and Grace Kendall. Welcome to another episode of Crash Chords Autographs. My guest this week is the one and only Grace Kendall. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. My pleasure. Um, I first, of course, heard you back in the day at the Quidditch World Cup, performing under Snidget, um, back when I believe it was right after the release of um, your uke re- your last uke record, which was um, Little Songs. I think it was yeah, right around correct. that way summer. Back when. Way way back when. Um, and so, um, so I've known your music for a while. I was so stoked when I saw that earlier this year. You released your newest album. Can you hear me? Um, uh, I guess I'll start with where did Can You Hear Me come from? How long had you been working on that record? Um, was it something you've been working on for a while, or did it just kind of come to fruition this year? I, I spent about a year working on it. I actually participated in something called February Album Writing Month, which is where people, like a community of people, get together online and try and write individually 14 songs in 28 days. And so about half the songs that made it onto Can You Hear Me started as part of that project. And then from there, I just kept working on songs and ideas that I had and got together with friends to make it a really big album that involved more than just me. Uh, And that was, it took about a year to put all together. Awesome. And so did you find that um, this album, because it was a little different from your previous record, um, harder to write, easier to write? different to write? It was definitely different. Uh, A lot of the songs came to me really quickly, so it was a lot like little songs in that regard, but in putting it together with full instrumentation for a couple of the songs, there's violin and bass and other instruments, which I hadn't done before. That was a really scary process. Um, So, yeah, that part was very different and very scary to trust other people with what I had come up with and know that they'd understand it and love it. And of course they nailed it. They did such a great job. So it was really rewarding. Yeah. I I happen to really love the new record a lot. I didn't think it were possible for me to like something more than little things. And, uh, and this record definitely does the trick. Um, When writing the record, what kind of came first? Did the lyrics kind of come to you first, the narrative or did the music come first or did it depend from song to song? Most of the time, um, I come up with a, a lyrical melody first and find words to suit that. Um, so sometimes it's hand in hand and the words come with a melody attached to them. And then sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll just have a melody and I'll keep singing through it and finding words that fit it. And then I'll take it to an instrument, in this case, mostly my ukulele, 
and try and find chords that work around it and then, you know, different ways to vary it up from there so they don't all sound the same. Um, how long have you been playing um, uke and singing for? Is it something you've been doing since you were little or did you find it later on? The ukulele I picked up at a Renaissance fair probably almost a decade ago now. It feels like a really long time to say. Because um, <laughs> before that, I was playing a hammered dulcimer. Um, I started doing that in high school, and then I switched to the ukulele because it's a lot easier to get fast results on, uh, and it's much easier to travel with. Uh, but since I had the ukulele, I was playing and singing all of my instruments are just kind of a vehicle for me to get to sing more because that's what I really like doing is, is singing. And so when I had first seen you perform back at the Control Cup, you were performing under uh, Snidget. Um, did you do any solo work as Grace first before that, or is that kind of what started you on professionally playing events? Did you start under that first? Yeah, Snidget was my first time playing music that I had written myself. Uh, other than that, I had just kind of sung in choirs and that sort of thing. And then uh, as Snidget, which is my Wizard Rock Harry Potter moniker, uh, I started to release music online, and then I booked my first couple of shows there. And from there, that's where I've done most of my touring is under the name Snidget. And uh, it was a big switch to switch instruments and to start performing under my real name and do things that were slightly less nerdy. Uh, so I'm really glad that people have kind of followed me through all of that. Um, would you say, I mean, I would gather Harry Potter has been a big influence for you. Um did is that one of those things that when you first heard about Harry Potter you just jumped on board from the beginning or did you need kind of to be brought to it? Like for me, I never really read the books. I read some of the first books, but I got into the movies and watched all the movies. Was it something that you were kind of on board with from the beginning? Oh man, I was a book kid from the beginning. I remember being <laughs> in like middle school and getting those books and then like doing all the midnight book releases and all of like the websites theorizing i was i was hardcore into the books and uh probably still am i reread all of them over the summer actually oh that's awesome um so you you, you released a brand new album under under grace under your actual name do you plan to go back to playing under Stinget as well do you still tour under that name or are you going to kind of stick to just staying with your muggle name as it were <laughs> uh, i mostly perform under my muggle name now i I've kind of almost retired the Snidget moniker. I do think it'd still be fun to, like, pull out the dulcimer and do, like, a big reunion show sometime and play all of those songs at a Harry Potter event. I still play at a lot of Wizard Rock shows and stuff. really um, have friends perform with me so that I don't have to have the dulcimer and we'll do different interpretations of some of my old music. But for the most part, it's just me under my own name, Grace Kendall. Um and uh, my next question is, um, for the new record, um, do you have a particular favorite song you like to perform from the new record, or do you, or is it kind of like you can't choose between one, you love them all? I find a lot of artists, like when they're touring, there's like a certain song that really gets them pumped to play on stage. Do you have one of those, I guess? The last track on the album is actually probably my favorite to perform live. Um, it's called Life is Hard, But You Are Loved. Um, and I originally wrote it for my mom, but it's a really sweet and a nice emotional connection kind of a song. And I usually, I ended the album with it and I usually end shows with it too. Uh, and I get everybody to sing along. And so everyone gets to have this great quiet community moment and you all really feel something so that when everybody leaves the show or leaves that set, at least we've all had kind of connection with each other. 
That's awesome. Um, so we're now into the early 2016, and this album has been out since March of last year. Do you have any plans to work on another record? Is there anything in the works as far as new music goes? Well, I spent the past summer hiking, part of the Appalachian for doing that, I told people I was going to write music while I was out there and turn it into um, a release called Trail Mix, and I'm holding myself to that. I have a handful of songs that I wrote over the summer um, that I'm trying to finish up the writing on, and uh, I think it'd be neat to release that sometime in March, just depending on how how quickly I can get everything together. Cool. I like the, I like the title name Trail Mix for a hiking-influenced <laughs> uh, album. I think that's that's awesome. Thanks. I thought it was pretty fun. <laughs> um, should we talk a little bit about Harry Potter? And obviously it's no secret that you're a nerd. Anyone who's been listening to this podcast for a while knows I am as well. Do you feel <laughs> that there are other nerdy properties that may have influenced you as much, if not more, than Harry Potter? It's hard to say that anything's influenced me more than Harry Potter because, like, I devoted so much of my time, like, in my life to reading those books and singing songs about them traveling the country. Um, mm -hmm. There are certainly other things that have influenced me a lot, you know, at least enough to have written other music about them. There are some songs on little songs that, depending on how nerdy you are, you may or may not catch the references. There's a song about uh, the series of unfortunate events on there. Um, there's a song about a British preschool program called Charlie and Lola that I was <laughs> to for a while. Um, so I think all media is a big influence for me. I, I like to explore whatever I'm feeling when I read a book or watch a, an emotional connection to a story and then kind of interpret my emotions and see what comes out as music as a result. Um, who would you say is your biggest musical influence, either vocally or instrumentally? I really like the music of Regina Spector. I think she's mm -hmm. really inventive, and the way she structures songs are really creative and have always been really inspiring to me. And the first time I ever saw her perform live, it was at an outdoor music festival, tons of people, and she's just this tiny wisp of a thing, walked to the edge of the stage and just started performing an acapella number, like in the middle of this rock and roll. And I was blown away by like the audacity to choose to start with such a quiet, intimate moment. And it totally worked. And everyone was on board. Uh, so she's definitely been a huge influence for me, um, both in her written music and in her performances. Um, do you have any plans to go on tour again anytime soon? I don't have anything lined up right now, which is weird. I almost always have, like, a, a tour or something to look forward to. Um, but I, I hope I'll have some chances to go on tour again soon. Uh, I'm trying to put a show together for February, but that's about as far as the dreams have gone right now. Okay. And um, so um, you have been on tour a bunch, as you said before, and I've seen you play in various venues in New York. Um, do you have any favorite uh, places – either venues specifically or just cities that you've performed in or places that maybe you didn't know if you'd like and you were surprised how much you liked? Well, New York is always a good favorite. I <laughs> have so many people I love there, and the shows always have a really good energy. New York people are, are music people. They seem to just get everything and be on board for anything. But the city that I guess surprised me, St. Louis, has this incredible energy as well. Um, I, I don't think I've ever had a bad time there, and the 
I think St. Louis is the first time like where I played a show and people who had never heard my music before were singing along by like halfway through the set. They were like so into it uh, and it absolutely blew me away. I think some of my favorite show moments have happened in St. Louis. Is there a city where you particularly had a not great moment or, or a not great experience performing in? Uh, well, Texas is hard to connect with people in getting them to shows in the first place was at least my experience. It's the only place I've been on, on tour where the only show I've had where like the only the band showed up where nobody else came. Wow. That's crazy. How does that yeah. even happen anymore? You know, you'd think with social media and everything else, like you'd think you could reach everybody everywhere, but I guess not. Yeah, I mean, it's always risky going to a place you haven't been before because you don't have the same connections with people. So, you know, you reach out as much as you can, and you, you hope the venue does too, and you see what happens, and usually something great happens. Every now and then you miss the mark, and we still had a great night. We still played, like, the full show to ourselves and the sound guy, and everyone had a good time, but. <laughs> probably a different experience if people had shown up, but but yeah, that's yeah, good that you, you guys, different. you guys probably, it's a good thing you guys at least put a positive spin on it and still enjoy yourself. That's definitely important. An important way to handle it and to not like storm out like, well, screw this. I'm not playing. Fuck you guys. You know? But, <laughs> yeah, really? But, but probably wouldn't go over so well. Um, the, the next thing I wanted to ask is, so um, obviously you're a very talented singer and ukulele player and, and an instrumentalist. Do you have any aspirations to try anything else in the arts, like writing a book or uh, painting or, or any, anything else artistic that's not music-related? I used to do a lot of photography. Um, I sort of studied photojournalism in college, and so I did a lot of um, appropriately concert photography um, for a while. Um, I liked capturing moments as they were happening. Visually, that's about as artistic. As I get, but I, I really like writing. I used to write all the time as a kid, and then like being a nerd, I wrote Harry Potter High School, which is a great way to hone your chops. Um, <laughs> I, I have a children's book that I've been off and on. It'd be great if I could actually finish it. That would be that would be fun. That's kind of up my alley too in in writing stuff. So yeah, I could be a great children's book author. I think that'd be fun. That would be fun. You know, I mean, well, I think that's also what's really great about your music is that it's kind of ageless. Like anyone can kind of enjoy it and kind of find something in it. It's not something that's strictly for adults and you could for sure play for kids as well. Which so if you had a children's book as well, you could probably market those together pretty well. Yeah, I think I could continue touring libraries but with a book in hand as well. Yeah, exactly. Um is there any big aspirations that you had uh, when it came to writing, that kind of fell out of reach. I know I've spoken to artists who, like, have had to shelve songs because they try writing them and they return to the same tune or same lyrics, sort of lyrics, and can't quite round it out. Have you found a, a struggle with that or a specific topic maybe that was difficult for you to write about? Not a specific topic necessarily, but I've found that if I don't really force myself to finish a song in one go yard, <laughs> I have like two hours worth of unfinished songs sitting on my computer uh, in pieces, but I have a hard time forcing myself to come and like find it in me a second verse to tell, you know, like more of a story uh, if I don't push myself to do it all in one. I think why the February album writing month was such a good experience for me because you don't 
give yourself the excuse to come back to it later. You, you know, if you don't finish it now, you're not going to have time to work on the next song. So um, I don't think there are topics that are off limits. There's just that self-disciplining <laughs> that is, is the bigger restriction. Um, my next question comes from something that I always struggle with, and I wonder if, as a musician, you or do or don't struggle with this as well. As into music as I am, I find myself sometimes getting overly addicted to a certain thing. For example, ever since I saw Hamilton back in February of last year, and then the soundtrack, the cast recording came out, uh, you know, later this year, last year, I've been addicted to it. I've been listening to it nonstop. I find myself, I can't even pull away from it. Have you found any music or artists that kind of pulled you in so hard that you find yourself not being able to escape for periods of time? That's hilarious. I'm so jealous that you just said that you've seen Hamilton right now because <laughs> it's really the music that I'm obsessed with right now, only I haven't gotten to see it yet. So I've just been listening to the cast recording ad nauseum for like a, a solid week now. I'm very lucky that I saw it. I saw it back when it was at the public before it moved on to Broadway because uh, my wife is an actress and a producer and she is friends with the lighting director at the public. And so he told us like the year before, he's like, do you have your tickets to Hamilton yet? We're like, no, he's like, get them or you're never going to see it. And so we bought them <laughs> for Valentine's Day of February 2015. And my jaw was on the floor. Like I was blown away. As someone who grew up a nerd and loves history and loves hip hop, and listens to a lot of nerdcore rap, like, this was my musical, because it, it just spoke to me on so many different levels, and and uh, and it's been difficult to pull away from it. I find certain albums, when they come out, will pull me away for, for, for a few weeks, and then I find myself listening to it every day again. Yeah, well, well done. You, you followed your tips well there. Uh, I'm super jealous. <laughs> yeah, and I, I totally understand. I'm like, you know, you just latch onto something and want to listen to it ad nauseum. Like, before I got the Hamilton soundtrack, um, before that, I was listening to the latest Julian Noon's album, Some Feelings, and that was, like, the only thing I listened to for about a month, you know. I'd have days where I'd deviate, but pretty much that's all I wanted to hear. And it's neat to listen to something over and over and over again, because you get such a different experience of it. It's kind of like rereading a book. Like, you can hear a song on the radio, and it's nice, but if you can sit down and listen to it in context over and over again, you get all those different parts and pieces that really make it special and make it interesting. And that's, I think, where people really have connections to things. It's interesting the nuances you pick up, like watching a movie or reading a book over and over again, like you said. Like, I found little tidbits in Hamilton that I never noticed when I saw the show or even when I listened to it the first few times, that as as I listened to it over and over again, you pick up these little hints or these little stylistic uh, um homages he puts in it because they're everywhere and, it, and it's really interesting that mm -hmm. music can be so intricate now i mean i imagine there were there were always intricacies in music but it's technologically it's on another level now where you can include so much that you can like li leave little secrets for for your listeners which is pretty neat um richness to it do you find that when you get hooked on an album like that, does it affect your writing or or your or you know your kind of like how you manipulate and work with music? Does it does it affect it at all? Mostly, it just encourages me to want to make more. When you listen to something that's amazing, you know you just are like, ah, oh, I want to make something amazing too. And so it's it's a great push for me. I think a great reminder if you're in love with something to want to make something else that people will love just as equally. I, you know, it's a beautiful thought to think that somebody 
is enjoying something you made in the same way that they're sitting in their room just going, oh, my gosh, this is genius. How did I not hear this before? Um, so next we'll shift gears to another part of the arts I have been obsessed with since I saw it, the new Star Wars movie. Um, do you have any favorite movies or fandoms in film that you're really into right now? Um, you can, of course, say Star Wars, but is there anything else that's not Star Wars? I'm a, I'm a horrible person, actually, and I'm not really a Star Wars fan. That doesn't make you a horrible person. It makes me a horrible nerd. I don't know if you ever have this, like, nerd fraud feeling where, like, I feel like the things I'm nerdy about are not, like, popular enough to count me amongst the true nerds sometimes. Uh, and so not liking Star Wars is one of those. Um, <laughs> but everyone said great things about the new movie, so maybe when I see that, uh, I'll feel differently. Um, I haven't... I don't think I've been in love, crazy love with, like, any particular movies lately. I watch, I've been watching a lot more TV instead, and so um, there's a Disney cartoon called Gravity Falls that's about to end forever, and I've been, like, madly in love with that. It's a weird paranormal sci-fi-y kids cartoon that's weird and dark and very funny. I've actually seen a few episodes. A friend of mine, Jason Ritter, voices the lead the lead uh, character, and uh, so I checked it out because I'd seen it in his Facebook page, Facebook feed, and I'm usually on top of a lot of the really quirky, awesome cartoons, but I'd missed that one, and I watched a few episodes, and I thought it was fantastic. I haven't been able to find the full seasons anywhere yet, so I haven't watched it, but uh, but, uh, but I've heard really good things about it. Yeah, it's super fun. Um, I kind of got that way with uh, Rick and Morty. Someone I know was talking about it, and I checked it out, and then I'm getting sucked into watching the whole season, that and Steven Universe, which if you haven't seen Steven Universe, you should definitely watch it. It's insanely oh. awesome. Oh, I'm way in Universe. I, I actually got to meet Rebecca Sugar at New York Comic Con this year, and that was delightful. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how I came upon it. I think a friend of mine had been talking about it, and I was at home one day just staring at Hulu, and I'm like, let's see what this show is all about. Next thing I knew, I was like 10 episodes deep, and I was like, well, I guess I like it, and just kept plowing <laughs> through them. I think it, it helps that they're all like 11 minutes long or 15 minutes long, so you can kind of just eat them up. Oh, yeah, they're like candy. You just toss them back. It's great. <laughs> yeah, and then and- I'm, a, I'm a voice actor nerd, so I like picking out voices like uh, uh, Kate McCucci of uh, Garfunkel and Oates plays one of the girl who works in the donut shop. And I was like, oh, I know that Yeah, voice. she's Sadie. Uh, t- yeah, we Sadie. had the same moment where I was like, oh, my gosh, I know that voice. <laughs> um, if you haven't seen the documentary on Netflix called I Know That Voice, um, it's a documentary made by John DiMaggio, who is the voice of Bender. He, he, and it goes into in-depth about voice actors and voice acting. It's really interesting and really awesome. Yeah, I have actually seen that one. It's great. Uh, I... I love seeing the people kind of behind the voices of stuff I like. It's always neat to see the work that goes into it. Yeah, and and it's cool because, you know, after the whole documentary, then the last, like, ten minutes is just each person doing tons of voices that you recognize, like just a reel of all the voices you grew up with, which is really awesome. Yeah, nostalgia in one big punch. Yeah, um, I'm a person who tends to stay kind of addicted to nostalgia. I like new stuff, too, but it's hard to not reminisce about the stuff that I had when I was growing up. Although I try and say that without sounding ironic or old, which is hard <laughs> sometimes. Put your hipster hat on. Yeah. Well, I'm, my nephew is just getting into video games now, and, like, 
I tried to get him playing like old Mario Brothers games, and he's like, "Oh, this is okay, but I want to play the new ones. This one's really old and boring." I'm like, oh, <laughs> no, um, but you know, you you do what you can and try and raise them right, right? <laughs> All the influence you can manage. Exactly. Um, I always like to ask artists if they have a person that they met that kind of sparked their nerdiness or sparked their interest in certain things. Um, like for me, one of my favorite moments at Comic-Con many, many years ago is I got to meet Bruce Campbell, who I grew up watching in movies and TV, and, and I enjoyed a lot. But I found myself getting nervous around him. Even though he's just a person like anybody else, I kind of like mm-hmm. blew it out of proportion in, in my head. And so, of course, I was really nervous. I barely spoke. Is there anyone you've ever met at Comic-Con or elsewhere that you felt that way about, that it was just kind of larger than life for you? Um, meeting Rebecca Sugar was kind of like that, but we I was in the signing line and I had, like, the wristband that guaranteed I could go up and meet her and she would sign my book and whatever, and then the signing was taking too long and they cut off the line right in front of me, and so, like, I almost didn't get to go and meet her. But then, then it was, like, a weird distracted moment where there was a lot going on. Um, you know, and I wanted to tell her how much I appreciated the music that she had done and that she's, you know, the first female showrunner on Cartoon Network, all these cool things. So it was it was kind of a built-up moment that didn't quite come to pass, but it was still really exciting to have met them at all. I'm not usually much for celebrity or, or getting super excited to meet people because I never feel like I know what to say to them. I never know how to be an interesting human in those situations. Um, so I did meet Regina Spector after a concert once, and, like, my friends and I had sat out there just on a whim waiting to see if she'd come out after the show. And we didn't think it would happen, and we didn't think it would happen. And she finally came out, and we've been sitting on this bench, and we're so stunned that this is even happening that her manager has to be like, guys, you can stand up and, like, talk to her. <laughs> and so we finally did, and, like, I, you know, I babbled, and then we, we took pictures with her back at that picture because my face is like so frozen in a joy so strong it almost looks like terror but it was <laughs> a great beautiful moment where I got to meet her and you know tell her she was one of the reasons I write music and so yeah I totally understand that overwhelming feeling of meeting somebody who's had like a big impact on your life without them having any possible way of knowing they've had an impact on your life. Yeah, which I found interesting, and I mean, like, I'm at a point now where because of my podcast and my website, I've met and chatted with a ton of artists that, you know, at one point were just people that I saw because I loved their stuff, and now they're people that I speak to fairly regularly, or I have sustained internet friendships with, or stay in internet contact. It's just interesting to me how that dynamic shifts, where you go from a fan to a friend who's still a fan. Um, and I always found that dynamic interesting. And I also like a lot of musicians who are born out of nerdy communities because I feel like those are the most inviting and warm communities, the indie community also especially. Like um, this unwritten rule that anyone on Bandcamp has to, like, support each other and help each other and, like, people work together and spread the word. And I just I love that about kind of the modern Internet music space. Yeah, absolutely. And it keeps it all accessible. Like that's the only way I'm making music at all is because of the Wizard Rock community and for its accessibility and openness in that same sort of way. You know, not only are all of the musicians approachable and, you know, telling you from the start, we're normal people, we're all, everybody's here just because they like Harry Potter a lot. So, you know, let's all just enjoy this thing together. But 
they're so encouraging of everyone to be involved and so it was a non-threatening environment to start making music in which is great to not feel like it's necessarily so competitive or anything like that you know I think if I had just tried making music in a mainstream music community I probably wouldn't have had the gumption to just go out on tour you know my first tour was with a girl who was in Ireland and the first time we met was when she flew to my house so that we could go on tour together oh, like, wow. that happens most of the time and that definitely comes from these like delightful communities of people who really support each other on a genuine level and instead of building up the the idea of fame and that sort of thing we just keep connecting with each other and like the wizard rock scene now is predominantly house parties that tends to be like where it lives on is libraries and house parties and i think it's hard to be like pretentiously famous in a library or in somebody's basement yeah i I would agree with that um it's funny the wizard rock community like i i'm a fan of the harry potter movies and i haven't actually read the books so i always felt like i was a fan but not fanatical like some other people in the in the field or genre but whenever i went to any of the live shows like yule ball or anything like that everyone was so nice and kind and inviting that i felt comfortable and enjoyed it even if i wasn't as familiar with materials of people in the room um I actually had a funny exchange with um, Neil Sierga, who does the Potter Puppet Pals. Um, I had known his work from Lemon Demon, which was a music group he was in uh, before Pup- he did Potter Puppet Pals. And I nerded out about that at him. And he was almost confused at first. He was at an event for Harry Potter, which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, it could be a small world there sometimes, but that's awesome. Um, but uh, but I always felt like the the music in those rooms it's so good because people care about the the material and and the music so much that you can't not enjoy it in a room like that. You know, it's why I think the the um, the Quidditch World Cup was so much fun too. Because once you get past the idea of people are running around with brooms between their legs, you really get into the sport and you get into the events and the performers and the musicians. And it, it's a really cool thing. I'm bummed that I haven't been able to go see it in a, in a long time, but I enjoyed it the years it was in in uh in the east coast in new york yeah it was spectacular it's weird to just be like at the super bowl of a sport somebody invented in a book once right and and you know i mean jk rowling must be blown away that people actually want to play this sport that she made up out of the you know out of her head and pulled from from you know from almost nowhere i'm sure and created it completely herself yeah she must just be blown away with like all of the reception on all sides like people do crazy things in the name of harry potter that is that is definitely very very true. Um, my next question I wanted to ask is: I, as a nerd, am a person who collects ridiculous things. Like um, I like collecting the pop vinyl bobbleheads because they're adorable looking and they come in all forms of pop culture. Do you have any physical things that you really like to collect that you go out of your way to buy or find when you're out? Actually, I am studying minimalism, and I am trying to have fewer and fewer things. And so for a while, I had a collection of Wizard Rock T-shirts. I think that's the closest to a collection I had, and then I just got rid of all of those last year pretty much. So um, as a person who travels a lot, I just unfortunately don't have room for things. So it's cool to go to something like Comics, fire all these amazing things, um, but uh, unless it's like some cool handcrafted bit of nerd nostalgia, I, I tend to pass. Well, that that's actually probably a much smarter and and cheaper way to live. Um, because <laughs> with, with coming with collecting things is then you have a lot of things, and so 
the, the handful of times I've moved in my life, it's like heavy boxes of so much crap because I have so much crap. Um, so I definitely respect that and wish I could do it. And, uh, I will live in aspiration to maybe live up to that someday. Um, <laughs> Enjoy your collection. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Um, so, um, we talked a bit about, um, other art- artistic endeavors and, and other things that you've worked on either previously or currently with music. I'm curious if there's any instrument that you've always wanted to learn that you haven't learned yet that you have a goal like for yourself to pick up and try and, and know more about. Is there any such instrument that has that kind of fascination for you? Um, well, I'm back to the dulcimer lately. Um, I think it's the instrument that holds the most mystique for me right now. Uh, I used to play it all the time, but it was a very slow instrument for me to write on and to play on. Uh, it took a lot of time to kind of develop anything. And so now that I've taken a good long break from it, I kind of, it's such a unique instrument. You know, it's got 64 strings. You have to hit it with sticks. No one's ever seen it before. Um, you know, it's always, it always takes people by surprise. And so now that I've had a break from it, I think I'd like to go back to that and kind of play around with it some more now that, you know, some of my songwriting has evolved differently, take those skills back to the old instrument and, and see what I could really put together there. I think that would be neat. Do you think you would do some Grace Kendall music using the dulcimer? Is that the goal to eventually write some songs for, for that instrument? Yeah, I think that would be neat. I, I've never written anything, like, non-nerdy on the dulcimer, which is a weird thing. I've not, not thought about that until this moment. That's kind of weird. <laughs> I, can, I don't think I can imagine, like, writing Grace Kendall songs on the dulcimer, but it would be a cool challenge. Um, do you think there are any genres of music you'd be interested in trying apart from what you're already currently doing? Anything, like, far-reaching or even within what you do now, but anything new or different you'd want to try? So realistically, I think the only kind of music I can make is the kind of music I'm already making. When I was in high school, I had, like, these very unrealistic dreams of being, like, the melodic vocalist in a screamo band. I thought that would be great, but, like, (laughs) can't scream, and I don't have a rock voice, so it's probably never going to happen. And I guess the other, like, weird throwaway dream would be, uh, I think it'd be fun to be in, like, a completely fluffy pop band with like synchronized dance moves and ridiculous costumes where I could just be like backing vocalist girl number three and just be like cute in the background (laughs) I think I have I think I have secret dreams of just being a background singer because it would also be great to be the backup girl in a Motown band but that That also is not popular enough right now yeah wouldn't that be great to be like one of the other Supremes you know just like that (laughs) that would be amazing yeah, you don't really see that anymore. A lot of pop vocalists don't really, like, they have backup dancers live, but they don't really have backup singers live. Most of the time, they're doing all the singing. So that, yeah, that would be interesting especially to on like an, and Especially on, like, an indie level. Like, I think it'd be it'd be fun if there was more of that. I really enjoy any time I get to perform um, with my friend Ashley Hamill. We toured together uh, and, and played a handful of, more than a handful of shows together. And it's always more exciting to get to sing with somebody else. I think there's there's a total joy in that. So it'd be great if people, like all these acoustic singer-songwriter kids, were just bringing around, like, their friends to do backing vocals on everything. I think it would be so amazing. That that would be a lot of fun. I would definitely see that show. So make bring that make that happen and bring it to New York so I can see it, because I totally would. <laughs> all right. I'll keep you posted. <laughs> awesome. 
Um, as as an indie artist who is pretty much doing everything on her own, which is something that the internet kind of really allows you to do these days. I mean, you work with other artists, but you're able to, without like a big music label, put out music. Do you have any advice to up-and-coming musicians or, or artists of any kind who are trying to start their own kind of uh, artistic endeavors? I think my biggest piece of advice would be don't doubt yourself. Um, that I think with the internet everything's freely available to you. And so the only thing really holding you back from doing anything is yourself. You know, I, I went on a tour with no idea of how to book a tour or be a performing touring artist or, you know, I just had to have faith that I'd not go completely bankrupt and that people would come to shows and that if I put in the work on my end, that, that people would come and be excited and be a part of it on their end. Um, and so I think that, yeah, having faith in what you're doing sometimes is the hardest thing, and it's definitely the most important because all the tools are there in front of you. You don't have to go through a label. It doesn't cost a dime to list your music on Bandcamp. You know, they'll take the fees after, so you don't even need startup capital anymore. My first album was – or my first EP was recorded through, like, the computer mic built into my desktop computer in high school. Like, there's there's such a low threshold to to enter the music industry now, which I think is amazing. And I think a lot of people have this idea of waiting until they're good enough um, to to do a thing, to go on tour or to release an album. And I, I think that the world is better if you ignore that invisible gate because there there is no gate and you don't have to wait for a specific threshold to be met. Everybody's idea of good enough is different. And there's always going to be someone out there who's going to love what you're doing. So you might as well just totally embrace it and own it and love it and go out and, and do exactly what you want to do with whatever kind of art you have. That's, that's, I couldn't agree more. I think that because of the access to the Internet, you never know who's listening, essentially. And so putting it out there is the best way to get visibility. If you don't do it, no one will see it, you know, which seems mm -hmm. obvious. Um, like I know that I have another podcast to do besides this one, which is a weekly album review show that I do with two co-hosts and every month we'll have a guest. And if you're ever in New York, I would love to have you come on and bring an album that you'd want to review because we pick apart albums track by track. And so if you're ever in New York for an extended period of time, I'd love to have you on that show as well. Yeah, um, that'd be fun. But, uh, but what I love about that show is that we reviewed a, a, a Welsh um, prog rock band and then lo and behold, one of their fans is a, listen, a listener of our podcast overseas and told them about our podcast reviewing their album and they reached out to us about reviewing oh, their album. Oh, go figure. And it's like, like that, that could have never happened 10 years ago because there's just not that connectivity that exists now between media and social media and podcasting and, and music. And so I think that's really interesting. And it, it only helped the industry as a whole, I feel to create this kind of interconnectedness. Do you feel like social media, like Twitter and Facebook and all that stuff, has really helped you branch out and spread your music? Oh, it's been invaluable. Absolutely. It's so easy for people to pass recommendations on. You know, the idea that indie artists thrive on word of mouth and that word of mouth can now be like a retweet, you know? Now, like, somebody has told all of their friends, hey, I like this, so you should check it out. And now you've reached so many people so much more quickly than you would have before. Uh, and I think that's absolutely invaluable, the idea that, yeah, you can build a fan base in a, a place that's never heard of you and you can talk to people directly. They can hunt you down and ask you questions. You know, it's not like these old days of, like, 
spam lists and stuff or if you like snail mail addresses that might have changed and hope that someone sees your thing, you can just like Facebook friend someone or, you know, it's it's a very fast process now uh, to connect with people. And, you know, and on the downside of that, sometimes information can get lost because there's so much going around. But I think there's a total power there that exists to be harnessed and it's awesome that you can connect just one-to-one like that with, with just about anybody anywhere. Yeah, I, I first got into your music through my friend Mary, who brought me to that Quidditch World Cup where I first met you. And so I reached out to her today to tell her that I was going to be interviewing you. She wanted me to relay, by the way, that she thinks you're awesome and that she's excited that I'm interviewing you. Um, Aw, thanks. <laughs> but um, when I reached out, I said, oh, did you know that she put out an album early last year? And she's like, no. And so I could co- I copied the Bandcamp link and pasted it right on her Facebook wall, and she got to listen to it, um, and I'm hoping buys it, uh, you know, immediately. And I think that's, you know, you just couldn't do that before. If you wanted to share music with someone, you had to burn the CD, bring it over their house, or mail it to them. It's just such a long, much longer process. Now it's almost instantaneous. That's my favorite thing to do is to share music that way, just via the Internet. Here's a thing. I hope you like this thing. Yeah, it's great. It, it, it connects so many people with things they like so quickly. Uh, and, like, I really like the crowdfunding stuff, too. Uh, I think it's a neat personal connection to music. Like, I just backed um, an artist from D.C. that I really like. His name's Andy Ziff, uh, and he's crowdfunding his next album. And so... Now I've, you know, pledged to that, and I get to watch him make it. You know, he's putting updates up from the studio, and I get to hear, like, how these songs are coming together. So when I get the actual vinyl album, you know, months and months from now, I'll feel like I was a part of making it, even though, you know, he's at a studio in Florida, and, you know, I'm just in a bedroom somewhere, like, not involved (laughs) at all. I still get to feel, like, the ownership of that process, you know. Same with that Julian Noons album. I got it because I kickstarted it, and, you know, it's exciting to be part of that and feel like, you know, you're a patron of the arts. You're really mattering to, to these artists and, you know, being an artist, knowing how much it matters that other people support you. You know, it's an amazing feeling on both sides, I think, and it, it gives people a real personal connection with music in a new and different way that didn't exist before. Yeah, um, that actually reminds me. I remember a while back, I can't remember how long ago it was, but you had done a live stream concert, if I remember correctly, ages ago. Yeah. Um, do you have plans to do anything like that again? I remember when you did that, tuning in, I tuned in like 10 minutes late because I'm terrible and never on time. But <laughs> I tuned in like 10 minutes late and I popped in and I, I requested a song. And you said, well, I had played that before, but I'll play it again. And you played it. And it's like that direct connection to your fans and the ability to hear songs and request songs and it's almost like a private concert for you and like, you know, hundreds of your closest friends. Where did that idea come from and would you do it again? I would absolutely do it again. I had done I had done things like that before and I had friends that had done them too. I think for a while there were a couple of like live streaming websites that were really popular amongst my circle of friends where people would live stream just about anything. So like my housemates and I one year uh, at Christmas time did like a two hour broadcast from our living room where we sang Christmas carols and then basically just put on like a weird variety show of whatever we felt like doing for two hours (laughs) and people just tuned in and out as they felt like it. I I think we sang a version of Carol of the Bells where we just sang the words Carol of the Bells to the melody like horribly (laughs) off key. It was great. So like... Yeah, again, with the Internet, why not? You can put up a live stream, and if people want to tune in, they will. Uh, And I I think those sorts of things are really fun because then you can have a concert, and anyone can come, and it doesn't matter where they are. 
nobody has to buy a ticket even, you know, you can just, if I'm going to rehearse in my room, I could just rehearse in front of other people if I wanted. And yeah, it's totally cool and freeing. I'd like to do one. I've actually um, been working on because they're going to make a Netflix series of a series of unfortunate events, which is a book series that I adore. And when, okay, so this is super nerdy. When they released the books, they released audio books with them. And at the end of each audio book, they included one song that was written specifically for that book um, by a friend of the author's. And so that album is called The Tragic Treasury. And I'm learning all of those songs so that I could do a live webcast covering that album of my original songs about a series of unfortunate events as well. So it can be this, like, cool, nerdy chat room for all the people who are excited about the Netflix series to come together uh, and revive these, like, weird songs that not many people know about. And everyone can meet together on the Internet being very excited for something cool. (laughs) I love that idea. And as someone who, unfortunately, hasn't read the books yet, I know, um, and saw the (laughs) terrible Jim Carrey movie on top of it, which didn't help. Yeah, that was unfortunate. Um, I, I actually heard about the series and I'm excited about the Netflix series and I would tune into that just to gain knowledge about it and to gain background. And of course, this you perform since I always enjoy that, but I think that's a really cool idea. I think that's, that's really great. I think again, because of the internet and this reach that we have, you can do these nerdy things that, that you would think only a few people would like. You'd never know how many people would actually turn out. And it has that connectedness because of the internet that it could get to a place where, people who often post about that the book series can share it and go, hey, check this thing out, you know? So so that's, I think that's a really cool idea. Yeah, it's nice to utilize the Internet in fun and interesting ways where people are actively connecting instead of just the passive stuff. You know, Facebook is cool, but it's a fairly passive website, so it's nice to bring everyone in real time all together. Yeah, I agree. Um, before we wrap up, is there anything specifically you want to promote to the listeners uh, to direct them towards? Um, okay, so it's not my music, but I actually run a project called Hello Ukulele, where I give away a ukulele every month. This is great. So helloukulele.org, every month there's a new like prompt for you to respond to right now. It's tell us about your favorite musical experience in either words, pictures, or something more exciting. Um, and then one one winner each month gets a brand new ukulele so that we're putting more music into the world. That's awesome. I love that. I will absolutely promote that. Please, uh, in case I forget, message me the actual website, the URL, and I'll make sure I include it in the website post when it goes up in two weeks. Um, yeah, will do. That's absolutely fantastic. Of course, I want to direct people towards your band camp, which is, of course, gracekendall.bandcamp.com, your newest album, can You Hear Me, which I adore. Um, I want all of the people in the world to go buy it, and uh, this way you can keep making more awesome music. Um, well, that would be great. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time, Grace. It's been ages since I've seen you in person, but it's great to get to chat with you, and I hope you do go on tour again soon because I'd love to get to hear you play live again in New York at some point. So, uh, And uh, if you're in town, definitely reach out. I would love to have you on the other podcast as well. Well, it sounds like a plan. I will absolutely let you know next time I'm coming through New York. Sweet. Well, thank you for your time, and I will talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Thanks for doing this. Take care. Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed these interviews, please subscribe to this and the Crash Chords podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. You can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. 
If you have any questions or comments, feel free to post in the comment area below each post. And keep the discussion going, because remember, music is life, and life is good.